Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? I'm good, Ben. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks. So today we have a sponsored podcast brought to us by the fine folks over at Discover. And we're going to be chatting with them about some of the tech that goes into things like payments and the way they approach developer experience and architecture. We're going to be talking about domain-driven design, event-driven architecture, Kafka streams, all those fun things that you can leverage when you're building interesting fintech products, both from the customer experience as well as the experience of the folks on the inside who are building it. So today, let's welcome our guests, Paul and Emanuele. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Both of you, hello. Hello. Yeah. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. So, Paul, just really quickly, why don't you tell folks, you know, kind of who you are, what it is you do day to day, and how would you define Discover, um, especially as it, you know, is in the UK where you are, and maybe, you know, it's not quite as, you know, well-known a brand. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, hello. Um, I'm Paul Manning. Um, I'm a principal application engineer. Um, I've worked in the in the payments industry now for, for kind of nearly, nearly two decades, and I've been with Discover in the UK for over three and a half years. Um, so I work in, in the digital payments domain and I do everything from kind of delivering the business, some of the business value stories, but also kind of working across some of our dev teams for some of those kind of like those bigger technical challenges, things like observability tracing. And then kind of just last week, I was kind of doing a few internal presentations on, on chaos testing. So yeah, a nice kind of mix of, of challenges and, and dev stuff. For Discover, yeah, so as you said, kind of in the US, we're, we're well known. Uh, so Discover Financial Services, we're a digital banking and payment services company, one of the most kind of uh, recognized brands within the US. We're one of the largest card issuers in the US. We just issue the Discover card. And then the banking side yeah. of our business does kind of student personal home loans, uh, checking savings accounts, etc. And then we offer, uh, we operate even the Discover Global Network. So there's millions of merchants and cash access locations, Pulse which is a, you know, a leading ATM debit network. And we've got Diners International, which is uh, you know, a huge global payments network uh, with with acceptance all around the world. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm based in the UK. So here we've got a, we've got a really strong um, engineering presence here. So you know, although we're relatively you know, smaller in terms of number of people, um, we're, we're highly thought of. We've got our own kind of hub in Farnborough in Hampshire, um, where we're kind of seen as a, as a unit in our own right with kind of our own own identity and then you know working with the technical teams we've got a we've got a really strong approach to, to upskilling our engineering workforce you know through uh, collaboration uh, innovation learning uh, we formed some really good internal communities to help build our craft uh, improve our products um, and grow as engineers so we place uh, you know a great emphasis on on engineering talent so it's uh, yeah it's a great place to work terrific Emmanuel, would you like to give folks just a quick background uh, sort of who you are and what you specialize in Yes. Um, okay. My name is Emanuele Pugliese, and uh, I've been working at Discover for about seven years. I work as an architect for the digital payment platform. And uh, basically, our mission is uh, to enable all the cardholders to be able to make payments using their mobile devices and their apps. And uh, this is uh, our area, core area. Gotcha. In addition to what Paul has said, uh, I would add that Discover gives the opportunity of working in different departments and learning a lot about uh, the payment ecosystem. Uh, I started as a senior engineer on uh, our data integration pipeline using data, uh, big data uh, and technologies such as Spark and HPACE. And after that, I worked on uh, 
uh, as a tech lead on the dispute platform, uh, mainly working on microservices and RabbitMQ. And finally, on the digital payment platform uh, using Kubernetes, Docker, and Kafka. Therefore, I want to say that uh, for engineers working at Discover, uh, we have got an amazing opportunity in using you know, relevant technology and as well as uh, growing uh, uh, in our career. Very cool. So uh, obviously, Discover is a big player in the, in the payment space. So what, what's the, the tech behind a global payment network like this? So within the, in the payment space, um, we're doing a whole load of cloud-native containerized microservices, Java, Spring, Spring Boot. Um, we mix uh, so SQL and NoSQL data stores, and we kind of leverage a mixture of event-driven and RESTful APIs. So it's a really nice kind of modern tech stack um, with a big, big emphasis, high importance on uh, security, resilience, those kind of things. Um, and it's also kind of worth adding that, that we've got a big emphasis uh, for our teams for kind of you build it, you run it. So where, you know, our dev teams, they're all empowered to come up with solutions, um, new technologies and kind of ways of working that will really kind of uh, enable us to be the best that we can. Awesome. And Emanuele, I know out of that tech stack, you know, you focused a bit on event-driven architecture. Can you define for folks what that is and then maybe talk a little bit about how that's applied at Discover? Yes, basically at Discover, we use uh, event-driven architecture and we combine it with Kafka Stream and domain-driven design as well. We think that these architecture patterns really complement each other. And to understand why, I would like maybe to start speaking about uh, orchestration and the choreography and compare these two design patterns. In case of orchestration, uh, this is often used with uh, asynchronous REST APIs to target specific backend services that are responsible for both processing the request and processing the response. In case of event and choreography, the backend services that process the request may be different from the backend service that are processing the response. This is a very key point that allows us to add multiple services and business capabilities over time. And those new capabilities can be run in parallel or uh, contribute to the final response of our original request. Therefore, this becomes a flexible mechanism for evolving our design and the scaling uh, services in different ways. Sh shall I go with an example? Yeah, an example would be great. Then uh, uh, let's assume we have uh, a client that wants to enable a card holder or card holders to add their payments card on their mobile wallets. Then we decide to create an edge service uh, to interface with the client. And then we create a card eligibility backend service to verify if the card is eligible to be added to the wallet. And finally, another service uh, that is the virtual card uh, service to create a virtual card. The virtual card is then added uh, to the wallet in place of the actual payment uh, card that's uh, for security reason. To be able to orchestrate the two backend services, we decide to create a central orchestration service. And uh, this is okay until uh, we get a new client that has got slightly different requirements. Now we decide to, for example, change one of the APIs, like the card eligibility APIs. And then uh, soon after, other 10 clients are coming in with slightly uh, requirements, different requirements. And suddenly we have got that our orchestrator has become very complex and difficult to maintain. Then you know, 
Uh, the advice here is if we are dealing with uh, multiple clients and the clients uh, have different uh, requirements, we should avoid creating a central orchestrator. To solve this problem, we can uh, use, for example, events and choreography. And in this case, uh, we could design the card eligibility service to emit a card eligibility provided event that uh, the virtual card service can listen to. If the card is eligible, then the virtual card is added to the wallet. Then you know, there is uh, no need of a central orchestrator anymore. And uh, at this point, the edge service can uh, use a request response the same pattern to correlate uh, the different topics. Again, uh, we need to bear in mind that uh, the two topics have been uh, populated by different backend services in this case. And the request response is a, a valuable pattern, but there is uh, even better pattern in many uh, scenarios. That is uh, a Kafka stream. Because um, events are stored in Kafka, each topic can be seen as a stream or table of events. Uh, therefore, uh, Kafka stream library can perform join and aggregate, aggregation operation uh, directly on topics alongside other operations. Uh, and uh, in simple use case scenario, we don't need to even maintain a data store or a database. Uh, Kafka Stream can do it for us. And uh, this is why potentially Kafka uh, Stream and uh, event-driven uh, are sort of Lego blocks that allows you to build a better decouple architecture because you can plug in all these services in the middle and you know design them uh, appropriately. That, that's the example, the example, basically. Yeah. So I think one of the things Ryan and I love to do you know, when we're talking to folks is, is a little bit about the pros and cons, right, Ryan? Mm. Yeah, so I think um, yeah, Emmanuel, you mentioned you know, some of those benefits, but I mean, one one thing that kind of struck struck me is when we kind of you know we do a proof of concept, and, and that's quite easy to get. You know, there's so many tutorials and walkthroughs out there. You kind of get those working, and once you've kind of you know, you, you've high fived each other, you've got something working. Um, then when you try and scale it out, you start to kind of spot those those pain points that, that you need to kind of think of sooner rather than later because they're only going to hurt <laughs> the further you kind of kick that can down the road. And something like like sharing a schema between a producer and a consumer. You it can seem you know, quite straightforward to start off with, but once you start to scale that uh, to tens and hundreds of consumers, that's a whole whole different problem. Um, so you know, if you've got a producing team wanting to set, uh, change a schema, communicating that change out to those other teams can be really difficult. So some kind of like central point source of truth uh, to retrieve that schema um, is needed. And then you kind of need to think, well, how's that going to evolve over time? Everything's about evolving architecture. So how's that evolve over time? Um, and depending on how compatible your changes, uh, that could influence how you have to upgrade your producers or your consumers, which ones go first. And then finally, don't forget if you're, if you're replaying old events, you can still need that old schema, you know, way after, um, if you're replaying events to, to re, construct some form of state and then finally you've got to think how, how does all that get through a test to production how is it rolled back if it goes wrong um you know with a cicd mindset um you want those you know producers and consumers to be able to release you know at any point um so getting all that testing is is vital and getting that, that contract testing uh, much like in a kind of a restful world with uh, between your you know, server and clients um is, is important as well yeah so for for um talked about replaying and making sure you you get the data but what about like you know when, when you retry actual uh events you don't want to charge people twice right so how do you go about doing reliable retries yeah that's an interesting one and it, it's a it's a very difficult 
a different world from kind of the, the restful response because once those events are on on your on your queue your, your topic your partition you know the onus is on the on the consumer to handle those retries um so so we kind of looked from like there's two different types that to me that stood out there's kind of like a blocking retry whereby um you you go around and you try and reprocess that event but you've got to be fully aware that that no other events are going to be produced are going to be consumed on that thread until you've sorted that so so that comes with pros and cons the other the other way we kind of looked at it was um you've got kind of no blocking asynchronous type retries so you put it onto a different a different topic straight away and then you can kind of you know take some time over that you can have kind of exponential backoffs you can have ma- uh, max attempts at retries um and maybe you even have to produce that to a, to a series of, of retry topics i mean ultimately there always becomes a point whereby uh, you've got to put it onto some kind of dead letter topic dead letter queue and maybe some form of manual intervention you know is is needed there to to kind of correct it and, and, and replay it if, in, if necessary um i mean you can also look at, at the type of exception that caused that event so you know something that might be retriable is maybe like a transient like network glitch you know you get those you know but you, you can quite quickly that that, that might re, um, fix itself and you can go and, and straight away replay that and others are just you know inherently more more complex um it's a lot easier with idempotent events as well. I'd say that's a massive thing. The more, <laughs> the more idempotent you can make things, definitely easier. Um, and then, kind of finally, you've got to kind of design all that in mind. But it comes with you know, quite a, an additional uh, cognitive load on the developer to, to understand if you've got a complex, um, you know, retrying strategy. And also, then don't forget, you've got to have the observability, the monitoring, the alerting tools in place, um, and test it as well because there's nothing you, know, you don't want to find out at three o'clock in the morning that something's gone wrong in production um and then find <laughs> your you know, your observability and your monitoring tools aren't up to scratch um so we found something like right. uh, game days for example where you get everybody together right. and for us that's uk us you get everyone in a virtual room and you play through some of those scenarios and that's that's a great way of like bringing those teams together you know and having 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 a look um, and it's brilliant for fostering collaboration as well so it's uh, yeah that's great yeah that's interesting ryan and i were on a call earlier today about uh, all about SRE and, uh, you know, trying to install a culture uh, where if, if folks build it, you know, they should know that at some point they're going to be have to, you know, be the ones on call. So when they're building it, you know, get into that mindset of, you know, reliability from the very beginning. And mm-hmm. I think to your point also, you know, having these group activities where everybody gets to participate in that to understand, you know, where some of the responsibility lies can kind of build, uh, you know, that culture of understanding. Well, I can't just you know, create this, chuck it over the wall and it's somebody else in operations, you know, problem that, right? Like we all have to maintain responsibility and, you know, sort of as a team mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. And uh, I would like to add also that uh, maybe from uh, the the same pattern point of view, we could uh, decide to implement, you know, either potency, as uh, Paul was saying, but also the outbox pattern would be a very good way of avoiding uh, uh, reprocessing the same request multiple times. But uh, going back to Kafka Stream, uh, that allows also, if properly implemented, uh, to use exactly one semantic, uh, which means that uh, um, we can prevent uh, you know, um, data loss and duplication, which really sits well on this uh, use case scenario. Uh, there, is, uh, there are d- different advantages, uh, the, like you, know, you reduce also the, the code footprint, but you know, more importantly, exactly one semantic is something very difficult to achieve that can be achieved with Kafka Stream. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the the streams, but the the other part of the, what we were y'all brought to this was about domain driven design. Can you talk about 
maybe how that fits into it and and um, if you have any sort of best practice tips for other people trying to approach domain-driven design. Yes, we design our system reflecting uh, the business domain requirements and what are the aggregates and the microservices backing up those aggregates. And then what is really important uh, once you have done that work is to be able also to document the design and the decision that have been made, the current architecture and the target architecture. And I found personally very difficult initially to understand how that could be done. And I've got a few tips on, on, on that. If you are trying to document the decision being made, there is the architecture decision record template, ADR. This is a template you can find on online. And it is about documenting the problem statement consider the options and the final decision that have been made. And on top of that, uh, we want to document also the domain or subdomain. Uh, this requires kind of a, you know, a dedicated uh, documentation that is more static. You can use the C4 model. This is another template you can find online. And it is about uh, documenting the context around your domain, the containers, components, and potentially optionally the code as well. And finally, you know, once you have got uh, all that documented, each uh, increment of value initiative or project will require also an end-to-end -end documentation where you bring it together all those subdomains and, you know, you provide clarity around the design and how this is impacting your system. And uh, these are the major tips I would have for uh, documenting uh, uh, DDD. Paul, how about you? Do you have like, does this come up in your actual work or, you know, with you and engineers and teams you work with, you know, from, from the DD uh, perspective, like what would you say uh, has been important and valuable? Uh, I would go um, ADRs again. I'd reiterate what Emmanuel just said about ADRs. I think they're absolutely brilliant. I mean, literally just like a couple of weeks ago, I had someone who was talking to me um, and it reiterated, it reminded me of some work that I did like about a year ago with some performance testing. And it was great that, you know, I knew exactly where that was. It's in the code. You know, yeah, I could give them the GitHub link and it's got everything, all the challenges that I faced at the time, um, the rationale uh, around some of the decisions that were made. And yeah, I could send that over and it's literally like a snapshot in time. Brilliant. Use them. So we've chatted a little bit about, you know, sort of the benefits of DDD, EDA and, and Kafka Streams. Are there challenges or, you know, cons associated with this as well? If people are considering this, you know, as maybe setting up, you know, the core of their next payment startup or, you know, inside of their business, what should they consider? Yes, it is very important for architects to have uh, engagement with uh, all the stakeholders, including the business. Mm -hmm. It is uh, uh, we think like uh, the business, the one providing requirements and knowing everything about you know what is needed to be done. But in reality, it's a collaboration effort. Then uh, uh, it is about discovering uh, uh, what the current solution does, what are the uh, client's uh, requirement, uh, and come with uh, you know a domain a model. And there are different ways of doing that. But uh, like you know event storming and you know. Uh, gathering everybody in one room and uh, you know discussing about those uh, uh, requirements and uh, uh, systems, but that is challenging as well. You found out that uh, you you know there are a lot of unknowns, a lot of ideas, and uh, this is where I think uh, was mentioned in documentation. It's important we start putting down all those ideas, documenting the decision, and uh, you know and uh, aggregating the the solution in uh, in. in using the documentation types I mentioned. I think that was one of the main challenges. Uh, mm -hmm. Another challenge is that uh, actually 
No, we need to think about uh, the system as uh, a system that keeps evolving. And uh, this is why it is important you know, to be able uh, not to have a design up front, but uh, uh, break down the solution in a way that is scalable. And uh, again, this is where I think you know, uh, event-driven really helps by being able to plug a new capability reusing the existing topics and events you have in the system. And uh, yes, mainly it's a challenging architecture pattern in the A. Mm-hmm. It is uh, not it's more co- complex uh, compared to having an orchestrator managing the state, and uh, uh, but uh, at the same time allows you to, if properly done, to create generic events. Those events are uh, reflecting the business domain uh, and uh, you know you can leverage those uh, events from different applications. Right. Mm. So that that uh, brings up an interesting point. Um, so how do you actually scale an event-driven architecture? I mean, with normal service stuff, you just spawn more instances, more containers. Is there something else you have to do with event-driven architecture? Uh, this brings uh, uh, to the challenge of how you can scale Kafka. And there are uh, different ways. For example, uh, you can uh, link uh, clusters. And uh, but mainly, it is important to understand that uh, scalability using uh, Kafka and uh, this, it is uh, uh, connected to the number of partitions. And being able to create the right number of partitions is important. And also, running the performance test against you know production-like environment is essential. There is no solution out of the box there. It's all about uh, trying, uh, you know, your uh, uh, business service, uh, test it, uh, see how it uh, reacts, and, uh, and then, you know, understanding uh, uh, the batching strategy, the, you know, uh, fin tuning uh, Kafka is really essential there. And uh, we cannot, um, in most cases, aim to infinite scalability, but mm. uh, instead we should aim to you know, our uh, uh, requirement, understand our requirements first and try to achieve those. Yeah, I think that's a really important, you know, point you make. So, Paul, I know this wasn't on, you know, part of the uh, script that we had prepared, but that's why we do chaos testing, right? So you were uh, talking before we set the mics live about how you've been working on some of that with your team. Ryan and I love this topic. Uh, you know, we've gone over it with folks from AWS and Netflix, a bunch of other places. How mm-hmm. have you been doing chaos testing internally? And, you know, what are you seeing as some of the benefits there? You know, what cracks is it maybe exposing that you uh, are going to want to address in the future? And how does it bring your team together? Yeah. So um, it's interesting. I've only kind of just kind of got into it over the past few years. It kind of was almost like on the side. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's as you see it, it's, it's kind of, it feels like it's becoming more and more important. I mean, that discover uh, resiliency and that all the operational aspects are, are vital. So chaos testing, you know, perfectly feeds into that. And when you're running in kind of cloud native world, you know, you've got all those little network glitches coming up and going down all those kinds of things um so i've really enjoyed getting in there putting through um uh, you can add in like little proxies here and there to add in simulate some latency and then you throw in some performance testing on that and then you see kind of you know how does that look and then you kind of contest your get your dev teams in the room and say okay cool how's the operational and the monitoring side looking with all this additional latency going on can you find out kind of what what the problem is um we haven't done it yet, but one of my plans to do is to actually have a, a malicious actor in the room who's there, you know, tearing down pods, you know, killing off partitions, 
taking nodes down that sort of stuff <laughs> let's let's uh yeah let's see how evil they could be and and how quickly kind of you you can you can identify and, and get over those problems that's right have have somebody in the room engineering the chaos for you yeah yeah an evil person that sounds good i, I like the sound of that <laughs> no and it's also very important i don't know to start doing i'm thinking about the test case uh, chaos at the start of your project even if you go and uh, no, live with uh, a very rudimental service, still you can uh, you know, uh, test the disaster recovery strategy. You can still uh, try to bring down the, you know, the network, bring down the, the, the pod, a pod and uh, see what is happening to your system. Then uh, uh, it is really helping uh, you know, engineers to get accustomed to the idea that uh, application network and uh, cluster can go down. And they start thinking uh, uh, on how we can, uh, you know, address those uh, uh, those issues. And then uh, failure strategies, uh, uh, you know, uh, active, 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 passive uh, configuration, and then uh, you know, it's a fundamental tool uh, that uh, we should, uh, you know, make use of as soon as possible. Very cool. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter or uh, X, as it's now called. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. You can email us with questions or suggestions about the podcast, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, do me a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. Uh, I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And you can reach out to me on the former bird site, at Arthur Donovan. I'm Paul Manning. Um, you can reach me on, on LinkedIn. Um, and also, if you get a chance, check out uh, jobs.discover.com. I'm Emanuele Pugliese. I'm an architect at Discover Financial uh, Services. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. And we'll make sure to put the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you soon.